listening to Two Girls, One Podcast, produced by The Daily Dot and hosted by two Amazon Alexas shouting at each other. I mean, talented actors whom you'll learn to love after about 30 or 40 episodes. Just stick with it. And now here are the curators of your favorite internet history museum, Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg. guys, I'm Jen. I'm Allie. <laughs> welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Welcome, Allie. Welcome, Matt, who is not here uh, for real, kind hey, of, sort of. Here. Hey. Um, and welcome, you guys. We're thrilled to be here. We are glad that you're listening. <laughs> that was so earnest. I liked it. We are. If they weren't listening, we wouldn't have this podcast anymore. <laughs> That's true. We'd be like speaking into the wind. We'd be like, we tried it and it didn't yeah. go well. And then we stopped. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, guys. So thanks. Allie and I are performers who have performed internet material on stage for a lot of years using the internet as our script. That show's called Blog Logs, if you want to check it out. Uh, there's some you rogue clips. You can figure out how clips. to spell it. <laughs> yeah, figure out how to spell it first. And there's some like rogue clips on the internet we probably don't want you to see. But anyway, you can at least read about it if you Google it. Um, yeah, and sidebar, then, we got to go see what's out there because I think it's I like know. real early clips. We got to clean that shit up. We got to pay like a billion dollars to get it taken off Google searches and stuff like that. I think we <laughs> just, just Make it's them not private on YouTube. Oh, we could just do that for free. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a lot simpler. Yeah. Um, cool. Anyway, good well, talk. Good talk. Good talk. Um, we made a web series called Two Girls One Show where we interviewed people behind internet posts because we got really deep into some communities and we're just curious about finding out more. And uh, in that show, we also went on scripted adventures. But then we came to this here podcast where we decided we would just focus on the interviews because really, guys, that's the most interesting part, and uh, it's where we're getting the most education. So. Welcome. We're learning about everything. We are. And especially today. Today is broad. Broad. Two broads tackling a broad topic. <laughs> That's right. Don't laugh at that. <laughs> it wasn't like good. It. You I know like I have it. a laugh reflex. Like if I feel uncomfortable, I'm like, ha! <laughs> that is true. I have oh, noticed that about you, and I'm not kidding. Jen's been laughing for 60 episodes. She doesn't think because I'm of this super is good. uncomfortable. Yeah, I yeah. just have anxiety all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was an anxious laugh. You heard that? There it is. There it is. Um, there it is. I can't trust anything now. I know. I'm you sorry. Can't. Sorry, I called it out about myself. Jen is not to be trusted. <laughs> oh no. But I did want to say today is about the history of the web, the world the wide history. web, the whole history of it. How? How? I don't even know how one Jen, it's one person we're talking to. Yeah. Can you tell us about some of your earliest internet experiences? <laughs> I did want to mention, I've mentioned on Two Girls One podcast before that I had an internet boyfriend named Monkey Poo on AOL. <laughs> yeah. And when I went home over the holiday recently, I found a Polaroid of me opening like opening the box of whatever he sent me. He sent me like a Metallica mixtape. So I'm thinking I'm going to post it in our Discord. I need to get my mom <laughs> to send me a picture of it. Should. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, so stay tuned. Uh, definitely get on our Discord. Discord.gg slash 2G1P. Check that out. And I promise I will post that photo soon. But earliest memories of the web, it's like all the stuff you guys remember, like the AOL dial-up noise, um, being in chat rooms, ASL, age, sex, location. Um, I'm trying to... I guess my first name on the web was as we talked about in here shoon 1967 because i love no. blind melon <laughs> okay love blind melon lead singer shannon who was shannon hoon he was born in 1967 so i was like 12 i was like that's so cool 
Um, people were born people were born um i guess i also remember i don't know if this this isn't the web but well i remember like really early websites when i was in elementary school like start like learning how to surf in school like surf in the web in school but it was all educational yeah did you do i don't recall doing that in elementary school i recall playing oregon trail okay we like programmed a little bit, but I'm pretty sure we went on some websites. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. Um, I have a horrible memory though. We have to ask my brother. He'll remember. Okay. I feel like I have like basic bitch memories of the web because as we know, me up until the age of 13, I was a total basic bitch. Ellie, what are <laughs> your memories of the early web? Well, I've told this story before, but it was my friend and I, Jeff, sitting and exchanging emails because it was magical. But also Lainey and I would go into chat rooms and just talk to strangers. And I remember it was just so weird. Oh my God. Remember that it was, was just so like, and it wasn't organized by interest or anything. I think it was just like you would go in these AOL chat rooms and just talk. Yeah, maybe some of them were organized by interest. I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't remember how you got there, but it was like an like you would go on at seven o'clock at night with your friends sitting right next to you, and yeah, yeah you would like giggle and talk about what you were going to write next. It yes, was better totally. than television. Yeah. <laughs> well, I miss the days when the internet was not addictive. Like you would do it for a certain period of time, and then you would close it up, and that was that. Right, right. When it didn't, it wasn't so integrated with like every single thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many times where I'm like, literally, why am I on my phone? Why am I looking at this? Like, why can't I put this down? We all do. And I made a decision recently. I'm definitely getting an analog alarm clock because I know when I look at my phone to just check the time, I'll be on my phone for 20 minutes. Same thing with an alarm clock in the morning. So yeah, they're they're totally like, it's, it's just integrating everything that we do in our work lives too. My work life is essentially looking at a computer if I'm not teaching or performing somewhere so as it is for you too um so yeah what about those special times that it was like you would dial it up you would crank it up it would take like 10 minutes to even come on and then when it was on it was just like the most special thing that ever happened and then um, if someone used the phone you got disconnected i know and oh my god <laughs> what a party foul we would go crazy <laughs> um yeah it was just it was a very very different time do you remember any like early communities did you do any of that no, I wasn't that adventurous. I think probably I did that a little bit around like music that I liked um, yeah. or, or maybe like a TV show or something like that. But yeah. I don't remember specifically what it was. Yeah. I was recently swiping on Bumble and one of these guys like fun facts was that he created like a fan website for some teeny bopper star that he and it had like 30,000 followers or something i love that he put that on his bumble profile <laughs> i know because as you guys know like uh, you do you i'm into everything but i was like uh who is this person like <laughs> do but it i want to go out with someone who spent that much time creating and developing a fan site because to me like if that's what he did when he was 12 then he's basically telling me about how he jerked off when he was in middle school you know what i mean and i'm just like i don't need to know this <laughs> question is is he a fan of this teen star and then created the site or was it like hey lots of people are into this star and i can make some money by no i think he was like obsessed you know what i mean so i thought yeah 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 back when justin bieber was blowing up in in the early days of justin bieber i had this dream of like creating a justinbieber.com website because you're obsessed why with wouldn't you <laughs> just no, kidding. No, I, I'm kidding I'm kidding I personally had no had no attachment Matt is a believer right you heard I'm it a- here he is a believer <laughs> he got Bieber fever <laughs> I got Bieber fever you know what it was because I was covering uh, Twitter trending topics back when they Matt you were... are safe here you are safe here <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you know what? We have not covered Believers, which I, I guess is like a little dated, That's but would actually same. possibly be very amusing. Mm. Yeah. This is a it, large not, online community. Not more dated than what we're talking about today. Well, today is like purposefully so dated. Right. I know. Some What's old and historical and what is like overdone and where's the it line? Needs it, it needs time. It needs time. Yep. We're going to get the full story today, but I believe this person we're talking to, um, his name is Jay Hoffman. He created this website, The History of the Web. He has a newsletter that comes out every week that gives you a little updates on some of the articles that he's working on. But he's basically trying to make the history of the internet, which is, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but there's a lot out there. Um, so, you know, as much as he can, he's trying to get it all into one place. And uh, the website is thehistoryoftheweb.com. We're taking a walk down memory lane today, friends. <laughs> and we're probably going to learn about some things that we never heard about, I would imagine. I well, mean, for this podcast, what's exciting is he's going to talk to us about some of the early internet communities. As you know, listeners, that's one of the things we're most interested in in this podcast, uh, how the internet has allowed people to find each other. And so what were the early days of that? Yeah. We should d distinguish the internet from the web. The internet... Uh, is the tubes and the pipes through which the data flows and the web is the consumer facing, facing yes uh the websites and uh the things you access with a browser that anyone can access with a web browser and what i what is interesting is that jay is chronicling this early time in the 90s and early 2000s where the pipes that were used by academics started to become public and people started talking about star wars and buying stuff on ebay and that was the web and that's the web we all know and love and now in 2018 How old is eBay? uh good question but it's uh you know it's I bet the jay birth knows. of e-commerce you know or not the, maybe not the birth but the the the, the normalization of e-commerce but um, point being um, we had this open web where you could open up your Netscape Navigator and anyone can access the same stuff. And now, in 2018, we are we are experiencing the internet through these closed apps, meaning the things you see on Facebook are different from the things I see on Facebook, and they're not public. Most of it is not publicly consumable, and so we are accessing the internet through these tiny little discrete like portals, which are apps, but we're not all sharing the same like web experience the way we were in the 90s and that's a that's a big change in the way we consume online information and I'm Jay is is making a timeline actually which is really cool if you go on his website uh you can kind of go through history uh in chronological order of like events that happened in the history of the web he's an online museum <laughs> that's right great point Matt I know we had here for a reason and um thanks for giving us a backstory all sure. right <laughs> Well, I want to get to the guest, but I know we have to get this freaking, freaking trivia out of the way. So why don't Let's we... Let's do it. Let's do yeah, it. We got to do it. We got to do it. Let me pull up my trivia book here. <laughs> it's like a huge tome. It's a scroll. <sighs> Matt unfurls his scroll of trivia. <laughs> okay. All right. Here is today's trivia. It's a pretty simple question. What is the longest running episodic web series of all time? Let me define that concept for you. For the purpose of this question, it is a audio visual. So not a, not a podcast, but a video or animated uh, piece of content that recurs regularly and has been going for a long, long time and is still publishing today. So there are lots of venerable web series out there. Many of them have stopped. What is the one today that has been running the longest? I Can have we choices. ask, or did you just say, oh, how often does it run? 
that is, uh, you know, most web series are sort of weekly. I guess there's Week, no rules, you know, weekly, weekly okay. monthly. For the purpose of this question, I'm going to say that it it still publishes regularly. That doesn't necessarily mean weekly, but like if you were to visit the home of this uh, web series, you could expect to see new content. It's not over. Like the creators are like, are not saying we're done. This is the final episode. It means it is still going in some capacity. Got it. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Your choices are A, Homestar Runner, B, Red versus Blue, or C, Super Flash Brothers. Wow. C is the only one that even sounds familiar. Like I've never, I've never heard like of A and B. Super really? Smash Brothers, not You're Flash right. Brothers. You've never heard of Homestar Runner? No. No. Oh, we got some <laughs> schooling to do. Some schooling. I'm not surprised that you haven't heard of Red versus Blue. Uh, is that like I'll a political you- thriller? Oh, interesting. It's so funny <laughs> that you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I was thinking, um, or is it about a dress? <laughs> You guys, okay. Oh, oh, this doesn't spoil anything because we're talking about the longest running. So which one goes back the furthest and is still publishing? Uh, Homestar Runner is an animated cartoon. You guys would love it. I- I'm really shocked that you have not seen it or heard of it. Um, had its oh, heyday. We can't in the- see everything. Can't see everything. <laughs> but but here here's why it's interesting. Uh, this got popular at a time when there wasn't a lot to do or see on the web, and we'll talk about this with uh, with Jay. Like, I know we should have capitalized on that shit when there were like no three shit. things out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we started way too late. Uh, don't get me started about that. But like, Homestar Runner was a uh, a cartoon uh, made in Flash, uh, Adobe Flash, when that the height of Flash animation was happening, uh, and it was just this wacky cast of characters that it just just had this great sense of humor. It's hard to describe. It's it's like describing comedy is pretty silly but um a really funny show uh red versus blue is what is called machinima which i don't imagine you guys are familiar with no i know machinima you do machinima manemsha isn't that a place in martha's (laughs) vineyard what are we talking about (laughs) define machinima isn't machinima um mashugana i thought I thought, Mich- <laughs> I thought Machinima was one of those, um, you know, they sort of aggregate channels now. Uh, you are thinking of the Machinima uh, network on YouTube, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, obviously, yeah, 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 yeah it is yeah. connected to the root of what this is, but the, but defining it is um, movies, like short films made inside video games. So instead of pulling out a camera and filming actors, you're going into a video game and setting the angles and putting the characters where you want and cre- and then editing that together to create a story. Uh-huh. So Red versus Blue was one of the earliest machinimas filmed inside Halo 2, I believe? Halo or Halo 2, which was one of the most popular video games of its time. And then uh, Super Flash Brothers is also like a Flash animation video game slash um, uh, Flash cartoon studio that made a lot of popular content around this time. So those are the three choices. Uh, A comedy cartoon, Homestar Runner, uh, Halo Machinima, or video game nonsense uh, in a Flash animation. Which of those three is still running and which of them goes back the furthest? I'm going to go with comedy because the answer is always comedy. Let's I'll go with A. Okay. I'm going to go C only because I thought I'd heard of it, even though I hadn't. <laughs> Fair enough. Got it. All right. We will find out the correct answer after the break. And now a real missed connection advertisement entitled, You Stuck My Flash Drive in Your Vagina. Man for Woman 25. 
Philadelphia. From the website where Nora Ephron got all the titles for her rom-coms, Craigslist.org. You stuck my flash drive in your vagina. If you are reading this, you know who you are. I don't think this is a fad sweeping the city, so this one's for you. We met at a Mill Creek Tavern. You said you were from Lancaster. You were beautiful. You liked me. It was perfect. But then, we went back to my apartment. We watched The Breakfast Club. You had never seen it before. We then ended up in my bed as planned and had sex as planned. You looked beautiful half covered in my sheets when I left to use the bathroom. When I came back, this is what I saw. You, standing, naked, at my computer. You, with your hand on the keyboard, not typing. You, grabbing the flash drive. The flash drive pops out, you look at it, you squat a little bit, you insert it into your vagina like a tampon. I am speechless. You proceed to get dressed, so you have to go home and leave. The number you gave me doesn't work. I'm confused. I'd like to see you again. I'd like to see my flash drive again. Your name is Rebecca. You have long blonde hair. Please get in touch. I'm a very understanding person. Wow, I hope he finds her. I think he's both in love with her and wants his flash drive back, understandably. But I think he's in love. I'm curious what's on the flash drive. And is she a spy sent there only to retrieve the flash drive? Yep. Matt thinks that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's classic. Clearly. Classic James Bond stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely what's happening. Is that what happens in what's that called? Octopussy? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I've never seen it. (laughs) Uh, what? Anyway, uh, anywho, uh, Allie just woke up. Anywho, haha. <laughs> Let's get back to the trivia. <laughs> Would you like to know the trivia answer? Yeah, I mean, please. I'm impartial, but let's do it. Good. What's the longest currently running episodic web series of all time? Meaning, which web series goes back the furthest, but it's also still happening today? Your choices were A, A you had never heard of any of these choices for some reason, but correct. <laughs> your choices were a Homestar Runner. Uh, that was Jen's choice because you know. Because I'm a Homestar Runner. She's <laughs> yeah. a Homestar Runner. That's what I've always uh, called her. B I've never Red called versus her that. Blue, the innovative machinima uh, web series about Halo. And story of our country. AKA the state of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> and C Super Flash Brothers. Uh, Ali, you went with Super Flash Brothers just because it sounded uh, familiar. Like a flash drive up the vagina. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Yes. There's a theme. Out. There's a theme. Uh, got it. The correct answer is A Homestar <gasps> Runner. I haven't won in so long. Wait, do I get a gift card? <laughs> no, you're in you're in New York. Oh no, no, but, but she won. Man, she won. Doesn't matter. <laughs> she gets a gift card. She won. But do you know the other thing is we've done over fifty something episodes, so really we're owed so many gift cards. Sixty I mean, episodes, true. actually. Yeah, but who's we are counting? owed sixty, 60 gift, cards. gift cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did we have trivia in the early episodes? Yes, Maybe. we did. We did. In the first, like the first time. We did. Ten. We did. Okay. I used to win. I used to get them right a lot. And now it no, really that's has not been true. Oh, yeah. We thought I did. And then we counted and actually Ali got one more. I just, I, I thought I was winning a lot. Anyway, I've never won a lot. But today I won. I think I should get a gift card. Do y'all want to hear about Homestar Runner, which was, which debuted on the web in the year 2000? What? Still going. 
I would love to hear about it. It's like the year I debuted on the web. I know, me too. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, yeah. God, I'm so sad that you guys don't know Homestar Runner. Check it out. I think you will enjoy it. Uh, It was created by two brothers, Mike and Matt Chapman, because they thought uh, it was originally a children's book that they kicked around because they thought most children's books sucked. Uh, They later, this I found so interesting because I love this game. They used the Super Nintendo game Mario Paint to create the first animated version. I'm pretty sure you don't know the the game Mario Paint, but it is a game from the mid-90s. And you're right. (laughs) You're right. You actually... Whatever gave you that clue. (laughs) It was an art and music game where you plugged a mouse, not like a standard computer mouse, but a special Super Nintendo mouse. You would plug it into your Super Nintendo and create animation you could compose music this thing like blew my mind uh as a kid i loved it because it was a very creative uh endeavor they used that somehow i don't even know to create the first homestar runner and then in 1999 the brothers were observing that uh adobe flash animation was taking over the web like people were becoming making these very popular cartoons on sites like newgrounds uh this is prior to YouTube. And so they learned, they taught themselves flash animation and they released, actually they, they were like, Hey, we need some, you know, characters to experiment with. And they just took their, you know, sort of failed children's book and turned it into a animated cartoon. They and their girlfriends and or wives at the time voiced all the characters and they published it in 2000 and the rest is history. They, they still publish today, but not regularly. Uh, usually around the holiday times, they'll do uh, an update to the site. Um, but they're still kicking around. They, they became so popular that the brothers I read uh, are now developing shows for uh, Disney cable channels. Wow. That's how big and successful this uh, thing was. And I don't know that it ever became like a profitable business. This was before like pre-roll advertising and you know ads had matured on the web. But I assume licensing and things of that sort and obviously career opportunities that it, that it led to, uh, you know, t- almost 20 years of making Homestar Runner and now they're working for Disney Channel. It's, it's a cool story. That's really cool. That's the coolest kind of famous to be when you've just worked your butt off on something for so long and slowly developed a following over time, <clears throat> much like this podcast. <clears throat> <laughs> but then like ultimately like it leads to you making a fuck ton of money. That's really, that's cool. Good for you yeah. guys. May that be us. <laughs> Disney. Um, we know you want us. You, you hear that, Disney? Isn't it like Mickey's we know 90th loves birthday? Our foul, foul content. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you need any furry content, here come we are. To us, Disney. That's right. If you need your own characters fucking each other, let us know. <laughs> We've covered that several times. On that note, uh, let's get into our interview. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. Okay. Yep. I'm so ready. Okay, guys, it is time. We are very excited to have with us on the line right now, Jay Hoffman, who's the creator of the History of the Web. Welcome, Jay. Thanks for having me. So you created all the history of the web. What are we talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> no, we know. It's a website. It's a newsletter. We got you. <laughs> he created yes. the history. He's God. <laughs> yes. I am the, history. The web. <laughs> well, I, thought we were, I thought we were getting Tim Berners-Lee here, the creator of the web. Oh. oh, oh. I'm a little disappointed. Oh, man. You know what, you Matt? Know. Stay in your corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I might know a little more than him. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown Shots down. Fired. Shots fired, for sure. <laughs> okay. Jay, tell our listeners... What is your background and how did you decide to start chronicling the history of the web? 
Sure, yeah. So I am a web developer by trade. That's basically what I do day in, day out. But I was a history major in college. Never really went anywhere, but I always kind of like was interested in in the web. Obviously, I started when I was probably making websites when I was like 15, 16. So it's like always been something that's important to me. And after I graduated in a few years, it's been a few years actually, but I kind of used that history background to just start diving into things. And then slowly but surely it evolved into what is now a weekly newsletter I've been doing for just over two years or yeah, just over two years. Um, Mm. That just basically each week I pull out a story from the web's history. They can be sometimes kind of technical because I am a developer, but a lot of times they're just cool websites or cool stories uh, for how the web gets pieced together over the years and Mm -hmm. send that out. Let's dive in. What are your most, I would say your most opened newsletters? And by that, I'm just thinking like the ones that that really resonated with people. Sure. Yeah. Um, one of the first ones that like really kind of randomly resonated with people was about the image tag in websites. So for those that don't know, you can embed a image into a website using a, uh, a tag, like an HTML tag. And the tag is IMG instead of IMAGE, like what you would expect. And the reason for that actually has to do with like a big argument that happened in the like mid 90s when the web was getting started. People were basically fighting about what it was called. And this browser called Netscape, who I don't know if you guys have heard of Netscape Navigator way back in the day. Heck yeah. Um, Yes. But basically they were like, no, it's going to be image IMG. And they stuck it in. And now 25 years later, we're still, that's what we use. Um, wow. So, yeah. So, stuff like that. Where where are you finding all of this information? And I, I think I was reading that this is it's particularly hard with the web to piece some of this together because some like pages where you would find some of this stuff disappear after a while, right? Or like, how do you find this information? Yeah. yeah. Uh, how do we know you're not making things up? <laughs> <laughs> Bottom of each newsletter has a list of sources uh, so that you, people can't citing call sources. <laughs> journalism. It still yeah. exists. Oh no. <laughs> Internet sources. If yeah. you believe that. Hashtag I, uh, fake news my thesis professor would be very very proud (laughs) i hope Um, he tunes in (laughs) yeah no so it's a combination of things um google has a handy feature where you can actually search by date so i can say like you know let me only search blog posts from i don't know before 2002 uh it's semi-reliable it's pretty good there's a lot of uh mailing lists that were around at the very beginning of the web and they're all archived and they were like sort of public at the time and they're public today so you kind of just gotta dig through those that that helps out and that um, must be really fun to see even how people use language at that point and how like it wasn't as fluid probably as it is now when we're communicating by email yeah (laughs) yeah no it's like there's a lot of uh yeah, there's a lot of just like technical, like people are very, very technical on it. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, there's a lot of like irony, I guess, and like sarcasm that goes on in communication online that we haven't fully hammered out yet. So it's just very dry, <laughs> like all the time. It's like, here's what we want. Like no emojis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no emojis for sure. A couple of, uh, a couple of like, what, colon uh, parentheses. Colon parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> the OG. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, there's a site called Web Archive. It's um, and they've been basically taking screenshots of websites as often as they can, 
since the 90s. So if I need to like dive back into a site and see what it was like, um, I can use that. So something we're really interested in in this podcast is how the internet has allowed people to find each other and form these online communities. So do you yep. have any stories about what that was like in the early days or maybe some of the some of the, those early communities? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's like, there's quite a lot. Um, but I think one of the sort of most popular ones and one of the things my readers really seem to like was uh, Neopets as a site from early 2000s or so. Uh, have either of you used Neopets? Anybody? No, but we do know that Matt is pretty appealed that neither Ellie nor I knew what a Neopet was it when is we kind of chatted appalling. about it earlier. So <laughs> do tell. Yes. Yeah. So Neopets was... Uh, you know, it was basically a site that allowed you to raise virtual pets. Um, you could collect them. You can basically you would play games and the games would give you items and then pets. And you can kind of just like over time collect pets uh, and like give them like cool clothes and outfits and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, kind of trade with other players. And it was it was just this very... I don't know. They were trying out a whole bunch of things that nobody had even like thought of to do back then. Um, I, I was likening it to Tamagotchi's meets Pokemon. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's it's kind of more Pokemon ish, but like with less rules, I guess. You know, there's not really any objectives. It's just like play the games and like get your pets. So um, and it's still around, by the way. So if you're interested in playing Neopets now, like you can totally go sign up. I'm um, good, but thank wow. you. <laughs> no virtual pets. No. <laughs> I, I Seems like a lot of work. For, 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 for an episode, I might make you uh, dive in there and, and report. You can't that. make me. <laughs> All right, go on. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is, you're right. Like, it is a ton of work, and people poured lots and lots of time into it. And there wasn't there wasn't really a tangible reward to it. Um, but what's really interesting about it is that. Basically, it changed hands multiple times uh, over the years in terms of who owned it. It was created by these two basically college students that one was an art student, one was a computer scientist, and uh, they just built the site together like for fun. And then it was owned by a Scientologist for a while who basically- Totally what I thought you were going to say. Right? I mean, obviously. (laughs) And it's funny because he used like his Scientology influence to- basically create super addicting games for children. So that's fun because, you know, Wait, they- Wait, what? Uh, How yeah, is that so, related to Scientology? Well, uh, I don't know if there's any like Scientology believers right now in the room, but- um, Well, they'll have to hear it. <laughs> I mean, none of Vaz, but yeah, maybe our listeners. Basically, a lot of Scientology has to do with, you know, recruiting people and like gamifying the religious experience, right? right? Yeah. So this whole concept ah, of like levels and stages- I did not know that. And, yeah. Clearly, so, I have not spent enough time with Scientology. Maybe you. you should. There's yeah, tons maybe. of fun games. You <laughs> Are you play. a Scientologist? Are you recruiting us? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. This is all just like a big pitch. A big That's ruse. what this episode <laughs> yeah. is actually mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Yeah. So it was owned by a Scientologist for a while, but then it was eventually bought by Viacom and then Jumpstart recently, which is the, the educational sort of uh, like tablets and stuff like that. Anyway, it's been changing hands it changed hands many, many times. And all the while, like people weren't really paying much attention to like what was going on in the site. So it gave the users like free license to basically do whatever they want. So they would add like these features and they would 
the users would take the features and do stuff no one ever thought of. So for instance, they added like the ability to create like a, a newspaper basically. And it was just supposed to be a place to like post random, I don't know, like fun stories or whatever. And they eventually transformed it into something that's called the Neopian Times, which is <laughs> okay. um, essentially a week by week newspaper care, uh, that covers the events of ne the Neopets world, both in like a fictional way, but also in, t in like bringing reality back in. Like it kind of jumps back and forth between being inside this fictional world of Neopets and jumping outside into the real world and, and making observations. Wow. Um, this yeah. is crazy, but when I think of somebody like Tom Cruise editing that newspaper, it, it makes a lot of sense as a Scientologist. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I could see. Cool, All cool, right. cool. Yeah, I can get behind that for sure. Yeah, just picture wild imagination. Um, <laughs> and then over time, there was there's actually like a stock market in Neopets that they decided to, to add. And what? obviously like completely fictional companies, but you could like invest and uh, and buy and sell and all that stuff. Um and you can get more Neo points, which is what you used to buy like, like items. It's like Bitcoin with cool. no value, which mm -hmm. I guess is well, just like Bitcoin. So it's like Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got it. <laughs> Basically, over time, there have been like economic crises inside of the Neopets world um, that were- I mean, were... I guess it could be really educational like for children it's... to practice there. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. The users of the site skewed pretty young. Like you're talking probably 12 to 15. That was like the big age range for that site. And then, you know, actually it was primarily uh, women on the site. Um, it's probably majority uh, was girls. So it, it was just like, it was a really transformative experience for a lot of kids. And it, they were like wrestling with these like concepts like inflation, which was a crazy problem on the Neopets world because basically a whole bunch of new users would come on and they would get all these points and then that would drive down the value of each individual point and then they couldn't buy their items that they wanted to buy. Um, so there was like an inflation crisis and there were like stock market, uh, you know, crashes basically that uh, were chronicled don't remind me in the, of the stock Times. market. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so it was really, really like fun and just imaginative, but wow. yeah, lots and of crazy stuff happened. What about um, something I think, you know, we had mentioned earlier before this podcast was the Caring Bridge community, which I found mm -hmm. particularly interesting because that seems to be something that I think is still going on today or well, yeah. tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So this one's kind of a, it's kind of a sad story, but um, Caring Bridge is, you know, it's basically a site where you could... You can you can today uh, create like a site if you are going through let's say some hard times uh, specifically if you are uh, you know undergoing some sort of medical treatment or something like that and you want to keep all of your family and friends kind of like you know informed about what's going on. Caring Bridge allows you to like create a site uh, and those and you know people can go on the site and get updates and and post responses back to you and and it's just a place to get i mean it's it's not even just people you know necessarily it's just a place to get kind of encouragement um in in a really hard time but the way it got started was actually uh and it was really early on um it was i want to say it was late late 90s um that this got started and basically there was a, a couple and they had just uh they had just given birth to a daughter, uh, but she was very, very premature. 
Um, her name was Bridget, and they wanted to keep everybody involved, but they really just didn't know how to do it. They didn't want to have to like sit and just call everybody every time something happened because it's obviously very stressful to begin with. So their friend uh, Sonia basically suggested like, let me help. I'm you know I'm a programmer. Let me just put up a website. I'll put up the website and just you know keep people informed and, and I'll, I'll add a comment form and that way people can can respond to you and I'll let you know what they say. And basically they just got this just outpouring of support and uh, over the next kind of couple of weeks and unfortunately uh, Bridget passed away uh, not too long after that but the idea itself was enough for Sonia to like kind of make that feature available for another person another person eventually just transformed into this giant community i mean i think they have hundreds of thousands of sites now and just wow. billions you know millions of people checking it out yeah that's a sad it's, story but it's also a happy one yeah. yeah it's hard to remember a time when that would have been so revolutionary it, it seems obvious now that the internet would be like the fastest way to sort of share information and get people involved in something like that but that was so innovative at that time for them to even think to do that. So so this is not a community, but is it true that one of the first websites ever was created by an Orthodox rabbi and what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, it is. Yeah, me, mine too. So that's why this kind of this story interested me. It's funny, though, I stumbled on this because at a certain point, like you have to just start for me, like I have to just start with a really random sort of thread and then follow it through. So I was just literally on Wikipedia, like going through sites invented before 1999, sites invented before 1998. And I kind of kept going back uh, until I couldn't go back any further. And I noticed that one of the first sites uh, ever on the web, I mean, it's not the first, but it is among the first like sort of public sites was called, was for um, Chabad, which is like a sort of, uh, I don't want to say sect, but it's like a group of, of, Orthodox Jewish uh, of the Orthodox Jewish community, which is much more about like outreach and um, education than than a lot of other uh, communities. So basically, this uh, rabbi used to go on FidoNet. Do anybody know what FidoNet is? No, Fido like F I D O, like, like F I D O, like, like the dog. The dog? <laughs> no. Yeah. What is that? So there used to be this thing called FidoNet. It was basically a message board. It's like a geeky, uh, I don't know, um, Slack. <laughs> you know, it's like a... <laughs> Slack for dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why it got that name. They used to just call things like whatever the hell they wanted because they didn't really think anybody would ever use them. It was a message board and you can go on and just like talk to people. I mean, it's a lot like what Reddit, I guess, is like today. Um, and... This guy, this rabbi, uh, used to go on there, and he would. What is his name? Rabbi Kazan would go on there, and he would just be like, "Anybody got any Jewish questions? Like, you don't have to be Jewish, but like, <laughs> I'll answer them if you want." And people did. Like, people had a lot of questions. Uh, questions about like what was kosher and um, like what was the best, you know, you know, what holidays uh, they should celebrate and all that. Um, so he got really familiar with the internet that way. He just, he was always kind of, he was like really new agey, especially for his like, you know, he was relatively old at the time and the people that were surrounding him were all these very, very old Jewish rabbis. So he was always kind of like the, the internet guy. Um, and then the web came out and he was like, this seems pretty cool. So he took some classes with um, like this nonprofit that was all about teaching people about the web and just worked like for a couple months just every night he would plug away and 
created this website. It was called Chabad Lubavitch in cyberspace. Uh, and it was a place where you could do a lot of stuff. You could actually ask him the questions that he previously was answering on FidoNet. You could download certain texts. You couldn't download the Torah. That was like a big sticking point for him. Oh. But you can download a lot of other uh, Jewish texts. You could uh, you know, get a calendar of all the holidays and stuff like that. And another fun fact is his son, who was hmm, 12 or so at the time, uh, was live streamed the, his bar mitzvah. No, <laughs> <laughs> became the first webmaster like of the site, like was helping out with the programming of it. When oh, he was like 12. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's wow. how you get him. Way out yep. of the curve. So Love that. <laughs> yeah. So What's this that kid like, doing now? I don't. You know what? I like tried to find that out, like because the the rabbi who started the site has passed away since then. But I have no idea what the what the rest of the Kazan family is up to these huh. days. If you yeah. know, tweet us. Yeah. <laughs> At Ali Gold. At What's Jared yours? <laughs> What's Jay's? He'll know the actual answer. It's Jay underscore Hoffman. But yeah, hit me up if you if you know anything. If you know about what happened anything. to that family. Yeah. Anyway, uh, before we move on, can we just clarify? Um, was, this was one of the first. This is not obviously so the first website. It is one of the first thousand websites, okay. right? Which is actually pretty impressive when you consider that a lot of the first websites were like, uh, you know, just universities putting their university page up or something like that. How so many websites like, are there uh, now? Do you know? Oh, that's 2000, such a great question. At least two thousand. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. I mean, there's definitely at least double. Uh -huh. What there was in '93. No, I actually don't know the answer to that. Is it a, um, is it a billion? Billions? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> is it easily a billion? Ten billion? If not, All right. What's be. your let's, guess? Let's see if we can figure this. What's out. your guess? Like, what's your conservative guess? Conservative would be like fifty billion. That's oh so my many. god! <laughs> I don't even high. think I could count that. But high. Possibly really low. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Well, I have another question. You had written sure. us about the um, Mozilla uh, yeah. sort of scandal thing, which I loved. I won't say why yet, but could you tell yeah. our listeners about it? Sure. Yeah. Um, so are you familiar with the Mozilla logo? It's like the dinosaur. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, big red dinosaur. Yeah. So, um, so we talked about Netscape a little bit before and Netscape was the first commercial browser and was it, it basically was the reason that uh, mom and dad could use the internet right because before then it was like all a bunch of geeks but netscape you can like install with a cd remember cds oh i remember what installing if there's netscape? a venn diagram and your dad is a geek like matt silverman right <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, I don't think they, well, there was a few. Okay, I guess cool, most cool, of the cool. geeks were probably dead. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. <laughs> so there All you right, go. let's there see. Was a, there was a small Venn diagram. Anyway, so Netscape was one of the first browsers to do that. But then uh, Microsoft, in a bid to like basically beat Netscape, just decided to start releasing their browser for free, which was completely unheard of at the time. Uh, now it's like, you know, de facto. But that's what uh, Microsoft decided to do. So Netscape was kind of in a bind and um, they realized that they were going to basically lose control of their browser. So uh, a bunch of um, developers inside of the company started advocating for just releasing their browser free as well in what's, uh, in what's known as like open source, which is basically like anybody can come and contribute to it and the source code would be completely free. It would be free to download. Um, 
And it's really weird that they went for it, that Netscape went for it, but it, it was seen as a good move at the time because of the move that Microsoft made. So um, one of the big developers that was pushing for this, his name is uh, Jamie Zawinski. He was there from the very, very beginning, um, and he had been pushing for this kind of open source model for many years. But finally, after Microsoft made their move, he, they got some traction on that. Um, so he was able to to push that through, and they decided to open source their browser. It would eventually become what we now know as Firefox, um, but at the time it was just called Mozilla. Mozilla needed a new logo, and the logo for Netscape or for Mozilla inside of Netscape was this kind of lizard thing. It's an interesting little photo, but it's very cartoony. It was created by this designer called Dave Titus, and it was just like this lizard that would hang out on like a desk with sunglasses on. Uh, it's pretty cool. Like the Geico but guy now? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the Geico guy now. It's funny because okay. if you look at the picture, that's that's pretty much what it looks like. It was, mm -hmm. But I think it was supposed to be a dinosaur even then. Got um, it. Because Mozilla was this weird combination of mosaic, which is a long story we don't need to get into, but it's mosaic plus killer plus Godzilla. And they like smushed that all together. Okay. And they named it Mozilla. <laughs> um, and that was actually Jamie Zawinski also came up with that name. Um, so they needed a new logo and they didn't really know what to use. And so Jamie was like this big fan of a movie called They Live. I don't know if anybody has seen it, but it's a uh, John Carpenter movie from the 80s. Um, no, I don't know. So zombies, it's, right? It's, it's not, well, it's kind of zombies, but it's big thing is ever see like Obey in like big bold letters. Yes. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a big um, so that graffiti comes, thing, right? Yes. Yes, which we're about to get Aha, to. I know um, something. This, yeah. is the, this is the part I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, Obey is, yeah, it's from They Live. So basically there was a character and he would put on these like cool sunglasses, like 80 sunglasses, and they would reveal what everything really said. And like advertisements would actually say things like Obey. Um, so that's where that came from. And that slogan was picked up by this guy, graffiti artist named uh, Shepard Fairey. Oh. Oh, um, Shepard Fairey, the Obama guy. Shepard Fairey. Yeah. Yes, the Obama guy. But before he did the Obama stuff, he did um, he did this, I don't know, campaign, I guess, for Andre the Giant. And it would basically be, it was very iconic, right? It was like Andre the Giant, like silkscreen, and then underword, underneath it, it said obey in like big, bold letters. And they would, you know, skaters all over the country would just like push the post this up. It eventually becomes like a t-shirt company and stuff. And probably sells out a little bit. But at the time, it was it was very, very uh, big and, and famous. And Jamie Zawinski was like a huge uh, fan of Shepard Fairey and the, the specifically the Andre the Giant work. So he manages, I, I still don't know how this happened, but he does manage to get Shepard's Fairey's number. Like he just is like- Looked him up in the phone gets, book? Gets it. Yeah, maybe you could do that <laughs> back then. Book. I don't remember how phone books- yeah, Fairey, yeah, yeah. Comma, Shepherd. Yeah, there's the like only one. The pages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> under graffiti art yeah so yeah. um he gets shepherd fairy's number and he calls him up and he says like hey i'm releasing this browser for free which i think is really cool and like kind of punk and like a little subversive and i'd love for you to like make the logo for it and he mentions to shepherd fairy like hey like i just i want you to know like i love your work i'm looking right now at your crash warship poster and crash worship is a uh, i believe like a band mm -hmm. time right he's like i'm looking at your poster on the wall and it's just incredible and shepherd fairy is like wait you have one of those posters and he's like yeah 
And he's like, oh, then I probably sold it to you because there's only like 50 of those in the world. And I was the one that sold them all, right? Yeah. So Jamie's like, oh, cool. I have this like personal connection to Shepard Fairey. And Shepard Fairey is like, awesome. I'm going to go ahead and design the new logo. And he creates what is now the iconic like Mozilla dinosaur. And uh, it basically the, the logo he creates is like the dinosaur kind of towering over a city, like indicating like, you know, towering over all the competition and all that. Um, and Jamie Zawinski just kind of like slips it through his corporate overlords and gets it in as like the official design for Mozilla because like things are so kind of crazy and no one's really paying attention to what's going on. And that's how Shepard Fairey designed the Mozilla Firefox logo. Yes. I love that little bit of Boom. subversiveness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a quick follow-up question because you, sure. Jay, you blew my mind when you said that web browsers, you used to have to pay for them. And I didn't oh, remember yeah. that. And I'm wondering two things. One, um, was it a service fee or was it a one-time software fee? Like you buy the CD and then you have Netscape. Yeah. So it, it would be like a one-time fee, like you would buy it, but then you'd probably need to like buy each new major version of it. Oh, you know, okay. So it would be Netscape 3 and then 4 and then 5. Right. So, um, so my question then is, I, I sort of understand why Microsoft would give uh, Internet Explorer away for free because they had an operating system and they sort of wanted to dominate an ecosystem. I think I get that. What is the business model for uh, Netscape to make their browser free or open source? Because today we know that Google like collects your data when you use their browser, but like, was that what was going on? Why, why did Netscape want or agree yeah. to, to release it for free, what was the business case for that? So like Netscape never made a ton of money from selling browsers to like people like me and you um, because there was like a ton of pirating going on. I don't know if anybody remembers like the, you know, the 90s and early 2000s internet. But yeah, there were pirates like everywhere. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> just the open seas. It was the open seas, yeah. All right. Yeah. But they didn't make a lot of money and there was a lot of people just downloading free trials and just using that and just kind of like downloading them again and again. Um, so they didn't, never made a ton of money from that. What they made money from was basically partnering with these giant companies um, and creating server tools for them. So they, I mean, they would basically set up private servers for like these large corporations and it would run on top of Netscape uh, you know, uh, software. So it would be other things like email and... Uh, um, FTP and stuff like that. And Netscape would be like one component of it, but they would have these huge enterprise contracts and that's where they made a lot of money. Um, and they were actually scared of losing the, they, they basically at a certain point they had no choice but to sell. And they actually ultimately did sell to AOL and then AOL just killed them. Um, but they were really scared before selling the company that if when they did the, the company was going to come around and be like, well, this browser is worthless. Let's stop working on it. And basically Netscape Navigator would go away forever. So they, a lot of them felt like the only option was to release it for free and then at least it would stay a lot. Mm -hmm. Got it. All right. Well, I had another question because uh, that's sure. what I'm here for. And <laughs> yeah. uh, Jen and I have a show we created called Blogalogs and it's where we would perform text from the internet and it originally started as blogs and of course it's crazy because when we started this in 2000 uh it was like <laughs> very novel to be blogging and then of course the yeah. world changed so quickly and now it's social media it's not really blogging it's all picture based so but i did see that you had a newsletter about the history of blogging so i was wondering if um in two minutes or less <laughs> just kidding sure. you can tell us about the entire history of blogging oh yeah no that's easy um, cool, cool. Do you know where the word blog came from? 
Weblog? Weblog, yeah. 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 Yeah, so back in the day... <laughs> Thanks they, for your support, Jen. Yeah. You guys are killing it with Jay's trivia. You're, you're pretty bad with mine, but you know all, the, all this stuff. That's because you're giving it designed to us. terribly. <laughs> Jay's going to be our guest every week and give us trivia. Yeah, I'll just lob softballs. <laughs> and we're going to get Trader Joe's gift cards every time we win. Yeah. Okay, go on. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, in the beginning or whatever, when people started making their own websites, they started calling, like, creating a sidebar full of links essentially is what it was and then they would call it a web blog and of over time that eventually became um that became like a daily stream of links to other websites right so you would post like a link to to a cool site that you found out because remember this is like pre-google so it's impossible to find anything on the web without some guidance so these people would be kind of gatekeepers and there was a few major ones at the beginning and they would post a link to something cool and a little bit of commentary maybe like a sentence or two about it um and then over time this it would continue to evolve and i think that one of the big shifts for that was when uh, movable type came around which was um blogging software uh that was invented by Mayna trot and it basically allowed anybody to create a blog like you can go on you can you'd have to install it yourself right so it required a little bit of technical know-how, but once you did, you would basically be given like this big text area. You could type whatever you want, and it kind of shifted things from people posting links, which was what you know the original way that it kind of worked, to people just posting like whatever they wanted. Um, and it would be personal anecdotes, and it would be you know media commentary, and all sorts of things just kind of like mashed together. Um, and over time, it, it, it really did evolve. Um, there, was, there was a few like big shifts, I think, in terms of like how blogging worked. Um, but it really always started with a lot of blogging today and then is like almost meta blogging, right? It's like about like it's web posts about the web is, is essentially what you get a lot of. Um, and it continues to be like that. Um, but I think with movable type and then later with WordPress, um, it kind of evolved to allowing kind of anybody to start it up. And there was a lot of like hype around blogging when it first came out and even kind of, I think this is like mid 2000s or so, um, because people were like, this is gonna like kill CNN, right? Like what's the point in having regular news if you can just go to blogs and uh, you know get all your news from random people? We're starting to see, I think some of the effects of that play out. Um, yeah, it wasn't but- the best plan. Yeah, well, you know. Thank you for citing um, your research, good sir. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's a problem right there. But there, there is, I think a lot of people, you know, especially with blogging, but like with a lot of these web technologies, they only ever saw the good um, that could come from it. And uh, I mean, that's you know, delightful. That's, yeah, why, I wish I could good? be so naive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what just occurred to me is that. Um, if you wanted to find cool stuff on the internet, you you needed a human to suggest it to you in that um, link oh, role yeah. or sidebar. And now, if you want to find cool stuff on the internet, you just open up an app and an algorithm will serve it to you. And, oh, yeah, and totally. how different that is. That's so funny. Uh, and where we I, are, right? Yeah, I'm just thinking about it now. I still follow bloggers. Now they've all moved to Instagram and things like that. But I still follow bloggers that I learned about through a blog role like that probably 10, Which, 10 years ago. Um, but Jen, they don't post on their own blogs anymore. They've they've all switched over to Instagram. Most of them, I think one or two still have a blog. Yeah, 
Um, Jay, I'm curious for you, your own personal history of the web. Allie and I were asking each other earlier, like, what were some of our favorite memories of the web from when we were young? (laughs) I think we're probably relatively the same age where we can remember a time before the internet. But when you first got it, yeah, what are some of your personal favorite memories? The reason I ever made a website, right, was that there was like this film class in my uh, school, my high school, and we would all just use the computer to like create goofy things. And they had just instituted a no hoodie policy in our school, mm-hmm. um, which is like really big. I guess now they just don't let you use cell phones and they're like cool with hoodies. But back then, you know, hoodies were a major problem. So <laughs> I created, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I created this like goofy flash animation uh, which like made fun of the principal for that. And did they find it? Like, did the school sh- find it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> then they realized they had a way bigger problem than hoodies. <laughs> it was Jay Hoffman. Um, I know the security guards all saw it, but they got a kick out of it. Um, but yeah, I needed a way to like show this to people. And so I was like, how do I do this? So I figured out how to like put it on uh, the web. And that's how I like learned HTML and Flash and stuff for the Can first time. Can we still time. see that site? Um, so- <laughs> <laughs> no, oh. I have it like buried in like a flash file somewhere on my site. Because I, I think or on my people, computer. I think our listeners would pay good money to see that site. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to dig it out for sure. Um, but yeah, so that was like one of the first things I ever did. Um, and I remember, like, I was at the at that time, I was I started a, uh, I guess you can call it like a design studio or something with like a random person. I, I still don't know the real name. Um, it was called Avarex Studios, and we would charge people like really small amounts of money to create websites for them, and then just like randomly split it between the two of us. And I always thought he was really old, and I would pretend to be really, you know, like a lot older than seventeen. Yeah. Um, but I think we were probably both like teenagers. <laughs> wow! So, so you were yeah. deep in it from an early age. Wow. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. My my dad like uh, you know got me a computer like really early. I was probably. 12, 13, and I like built a computer and I was just... Turned out to be the best choice ever made. I wish that I'd been playing with computers (laughs) as a kid. I'd probably have benefits now. It'd be great. (laughs) Everyone thought I was wasting my time. Um, I had another question that I thought might be a little dark, but very relevant for our listeners, given your expertise. Um, I also saw that you have a recent newsletter, Your Privacy Policy Doesn't Mean a Thing, Regulating (laughs) Privacy on the Web. Yeah. Can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it gets kind of in the weeds in terms of uh, like uh, legislation and stuff like that. But basically, there have been. Um, well, okay. Let's start with: attempts. Is it true that your pri- that the privacy policy doesn't mean a thing? It that is true. Okay. And basically, what I mean by that is that it is a bunch of people hedging their bets against pretty vague laws, right? So the idea is that. If you have a privacy policy, technically you're okay, but there's no real uh, there's no real legislation around what that privacy policy needs to say or, or what kind of privacies you even need to be protecting. So as long as you just stick it at the bottom of your website, like you're fine. So that's why you always see it, and that's why it's always meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, not always, but mostly. Um, so basically, there have been multiple attempts, I think, over the years to kind of regulate what is collected and what what was super horrifying i think early on and what what kicked off a lot of this was that there was a whole bunch of children's sites 
that would harvest a lot of data from kids, either knowingly or unknowingly. Like they, they would do things like, what's your age and address? And if you do that, we'll give you a hundred extra points in this meaningless game. And like, of, of course, kids are like an 11 year old is going to like do that because what do they care? Um, but in the meantime, like they're gathering this data and, and kind of compiling it and using it against the parents later on. Um, so a bunch of people eventually like woke up to this and we got um, this law called COPA, uh, which makes sure that if a site is targeted at kids, um, at least it doesn't collect data like that. And if it does, you need to get parental permission, which is pretty difficult to do. It's actually why if you sign up for like Facebook or Twitter or something like that, it always has the checkbox that's like, I am 13 years or older. Um, it's because if they were, even though there's plenty of kids that are under 13 um, that are using it, and they've done plenty of studies to show that there's lots and lots of kids uh, that are that age that are using Facebook, um, Facebook can technically say, well, we're not explicitly you know, gathering data from children, so we don't need to worry about all these COPA laws. I think the, the point that I was trying to make was that you know we did a pretty good job, I think, in the early 2000s and stuff, like creating a bunch of laws around this, but maybe it's time to like take another look at them and, and reevaluate them, both in terms of what we're doing for, for kids, but also just what kind of privacy protections are we offering, you know, just regular old people. So what do you think are, is a possible solution? Oh, man. Yeah, people way smarter than me are definitely working on this. I think um, one of the big ones is uh, admitting to ourselves that kids are going to use just about every site on the web. And in fact, they should be able to use every site on the web and that our privacy standards should um, be kind of even, right? So any protections we want to give to children, like why can't we just give those to adults as well? Um a big step, I think, in the right direction was GDPR. I know that's like super, there's a lot of people in my uh, field that probably don't agree with me on that, but um, it's a, it's a, it was passed in the EU last year. And it basically, um, basically puts a lot of restrictions on what kind of data can be collected and then also how long it can be collected for, which is, I think, really essential. So after, I think, 30 days, six months, something like that, you have to basically delete any data you have on somebody. And if anybody wants to opt out, like if I want to opt out from having my data collected on whatever site, I can just do that, like with a click of a button. Um, so I think educating people in that way and just like providing the levers for that is probably a really good step. But we have a lot of ways to go because um, I actually just sent out one the newsletter today about, you know, what is does public mean now versus what it used to mean? And uh, there's a researcher, her name is Dana Boyd, and she's done a lot of work on this and uh, or research into this. And one of the things that she realizes is that public today means public forever. Like it will be around for the next however many years. And you're basically like when you say something now into public, into the public, you're saying it to everyone internationally and everyone for all of time. And it's, it's basically elevated like a public conversation into this concept that she calls super publics. And I think kids are a lot better at navigating that than, than uh, we are. And Well, well um, yes and really no, right? I think the whole you. dilemma is that kids post things not realizing that it will haunt them till they die. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that is a major problem. But I think the assumption for a lot of kids is that that's like the default. So they Oh, that's true because they're know, growing they, up in a different world. Yeah. 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 So they just kind of operate accordingly. Um, yeah, I was reading that so. maybe all these like scandals that are plaguing people now where, the, you know, they find something about them on the Internet that like the <laughs> right. next generation just won't care. It's like, oh, yeah, we all have deep, dark things on the Internet. Who cares? You know? Yeah, might that's be actually really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm curious, in line with all of this, Jay, uh, studying the history of the web, has that lent you any insight about the future of the web and or are there any other sort of like Oof. lessons or themes or anything that you're kind of seeing from all this research that you're doing? Yeah, it's really funny because <laughs> um, when I first started, a lot of the lessons were about web development and how basically web developers just like do the same things every five to 10 years, like they invent the same kind of technologies and they try the same kind of techniques. And then everybody forgets about it because all these new developers join up and they've nobody read the old stuff. So then they do all the same stuff again. So that's what I was kind of getting a lot of at the beginning. Now, I think the entire world is waking up to the implications of, you know, the web and, and kind of spreading, uh, connecting people in the way that we did and, and what it means. And I think what I'm learning is that is, is what I said before, which is that when we a lot of what we did in the past was we looked at everything with a very, very optimistic view, like there's no way any of this can go wrong. The web is connecting people. We're democratizing the way people can talk to one another. Like there's, you know, that's great. That's all good. And I think it is like it honestly is very, very good. It's just we didn't really like think about sort of the long term there. And um, there's I think what we're starting to do is is look at that and, and take into account the actions that we do today, what are they going to mean for the future? And the, all the lessons that I'm learning are really just that. Like, how can we take a look at what's going on now and think through what all the possible, you know, the worst case scenarios are basically for our technological I wish more decisions. people had that line of thinking. Hashtag climate change. Anyway, <laughs> the future is real. Okay. Great. Well, Jen Jen mentioned earlier today she's concerned that the world is going to end and every day will be her last. But um, I'm with you yeah. on that. Yeah, we're laughing, so, but we're really crying. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Happy medium. You know, maybe we'll all just look a couple months ahead and see how that goes. <laughs> so, Jay, I'm curious to get your thoughts about uh, this. Was an article published in Wired, a very famous article published in 2010, called "The Web Is Dead: Long Live the Internet." Yeah. Uh, and, yep. and you're laughing because obviously you, you know of it and you remember it. Um, and we, on the publishing side, we saw this and we all kind of laughed too. Of like in 2010, like the idea that the the web was dying or is over was so silly because we were all making our living and, and seeing the rise of the web, you know, take shape and become um, more uh, sophisticated. But what I have observed in recent uh, years is that we are accessing the public web less and less through web browsers. All of the data, all of the useful information and data is coming to us through closed systems apps. You know, Uber tells me my driver is here. Facebook sends me a notification. Th this, and correct me if I'm wrong, is not the web. This is the internet yep. pinging us through uh, very discreet uh, little walled gardens. A and so I observe that the web is dying. Do you share that view or are you more optimistic about this open world that was created in the 90s? Um, I'd say there's two points. The first is that uh, while those services are disconnected from the web, they actually, a lot of them are still built on top of the web, right? So it's kind of a semantic, uh, you know, distinction, but it's the same one that was being made by Wired back in the day. Like they were saying, a lot of people are streaming videos and the argument coming back was, well, people are streaming videos using the web. So, um, you know the web is still very much alive. But I think the larger point is that uh, right now the web is, it's going to be 30 in a couple years, in next year, actually. Um, it's pretty young, right, in terms of a technology. And I think 
we're going to see a lot of ebb and flows. So I think for the last decade or so, there's been uh, this move towards what you're calling, you know, like the walled gardens of Facebook and and Twitter and, uh, you know, even technologies like Uber. Um, But I think what you'll start to see, I'm hoping, and I'm pretty confident about it, is a new generation of people that experiment with the web in different ways and with the sort of lessons learned from what went wrong and what went right specifically um, with what we tried in these wall gardens. So I think you'll see a lot more experiments. I don't think we've fully explored like what we can do with the web. I think it, for instance, would be possible to create an even better social experience using just the web. And I think there's a lot of smart people that are least starting to think about it if not starting to to work on it um so i think every time it feels like the web is going to die it means it's about to have a resurgence so i'm hoping that that remains true well jay thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure speaking with you and learning a little bit more about the history of this thing that we're on every single day <laughs> yeah no i really appreciate you having me on and it was really uh, it was fun you can find him on twitter at j underscore hoffman that's with two n's or you can go to thehistoryoftheweb.com. Well, I am thankful that there's somebody out there taking the time to thoughtfully compile the history of the web, because most of the time it just feels like a big old shit show. <laughs> it is but, a big old shit show. And I was trying to do some research last week, and you know, you Google stuff, and it's like you don't even fucking know where to begin anymore. There's like 13,000 <laughs> results. Half of them you scroll to the bottom, and it's some sort of like affiliate advertising situation. I can't stand it. I right. just love that he had footnotes and like actually cites his sources. It's amazing. And plus, like you're always just asking yourself how did we get here <laughs> how, how the heck did we did get here we get here i don't know and it's I all have the this, history of the web.com yeah yeah i have this thing that i bought at a flea market with kelly sullivan hey kelly where uh it's this thing and it says i followed the road less traveled and now i don't know where the hell i am <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i feel that that's relevant to share in this moment yes <laughs> i look at it every morning anyway yeah well, it's just like the world is changing so freaking fast and he's documenting that. So that's cool. And obviously love the point he made. I know you did too about um, thinking about worst case scenarios and being having a bit more critical lens in the things that we're creating with technology. And so if that can be learned from looking at the history of the web, then definitely worth a read. <laughs> It'll be interesting to think about if kids are going to start being taught some of this in school. Well, kids need to be taught digital literacy in school for sure. I don't know which country, but I heard, I hear there is one. <laughs> a, a country? Uh, where they are, they started teaching digital literacy to kids and they're having way less of a problem with fake news. Interesting. I need to yeah. back fact check me i haven't said yeah. that in a while but fact check me guys always fact check me i don't well, even know I'm how confident. you'd fact check that one you'd google it and there'd be like four thousand million search results and i didn't tell you what country anyway yeah oh i'm confident that humans as a civilization will not repeat any of the mistakes that we've already oh made. yeah definitely I, definitely that's be... never happened before yeah. yeah so i think it's all good that always boggled my mind, like in history class in high school. I'm like, why are we learning this? And then we keep doing it. <laughs> What's <Yeah>. happening? <laughs> this makes no sense. And then they're like, history is cyclical. And that's why we learned. They stop. <laughs> also, what's the deal with Nazis? <laughs> I thought we were done with them. Jesus well, my, fucking yeah. Christ. That's my favorite history teacher refrain of like, why are we learning this? So we don't repeat the past. 
fast. And then yeah. we repeat it. Like, it makes no sense. Like, literally, we are taught it in schools so that we don't repeat it, and then that's all we do. Well, because there's always this fringe that thinks like, ooh, the past was good, you know, make America great again, that kind of shit. Well, that's yeah. that's the whole thing. Yeah. We always think that the best times were the times when we were adolescents. Like we have this, we all, you, us in this room, we have this fondness for, is, wasn't it so great when diet, you could dial up modems and you could shut it down? Yeah, and, but there's also just like a lot of like bigotry and racism involved. Oh, well, <laughs> the sure, good old sure. days. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> when other people weren't allowed to do things. I want to <laughs> say something important, which is... <laughs> But I think the best time is right now. I know we've been su- such Debbie Downers. No, about, it's not. Uh, it's not. It's not right now. Can you think of a time that was better, though? 2015. I mean, it's pretty bad right now. <laughs> it's pretty bad right now. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, I fully agree with you, Jen. Uh, Just, uh, but of, Matt's an optimist. We know no, this. No, it's not yeah. about being optimistic. It's that. That's it's what idea, an optimist it, would say. <laughs> Can you think of a better time? Oh, 2015. Well, that's obviously you're joking and it's funny, but it, it's no, not I'm a long not joking. Pre Trump. Yeah, <laughs> Pre Trump sure. was a little better. But take a longer view. Do you guys and... remember Obama? Do you remember that guy? <laughs> he was great. Barry. I'm sticking with 2015 and it's not a joke. But those are two little blips on the radar. But I think, you know, Jen, what you're saying is like, if you go to pack to a previous generation or previous time, it was full of racism and segregation and xenophobia and and terrible. Uh, yeah, 2015 you know. was a little better because we just slid <laughs> backwards the past two years. No doubt, but but it's like it's like looking at the graph or like if you own a stock, let's say, and it's like, well, don't sell it when it slides back, you know, a tiny bit. You got to look at the bigger trend and make sure mm-hmm. that you're you're trending in the right direction. Right? I see what you're saying, optimist. That and this is oh, you know what, Obama's first um, public statement when he came back from office was this is not a period in the course of American history it's just a semicolon something like that but like way better more eloquent which I thought was fucking amazing and I think that's the same point you're trying to make you are Obama are you trying to say that Barack Obama made a point more eloquently than I could that's fair. I think even guys, Matt would say that's guys, fair. No, you're yeah. right. Yeah, that's totally fair. Also, let's talk about what really came out of this conversation, which was Jen's new business idea that I loved. Does anyone remember what it was? Yes, I do. Slack, uh, for, slack for dogs. dogs. <laughs> slack for dogs. Let's talk about this one. I feel yes, like there's a lot to be said and done there, and I'm looking forward to making millions together with You slack know what the dogs. dogs are really going to like, Allie? What? They're going to like responding in line. In line. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. That's an inside yeah. joke here I, at Two Girls, One I Podcast, but Ali loves responding in line. <laughs> how responding in line needs to be possible in all important. chat services so that I can respond to something that was 20 messages ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the dogs are going to love um, that. Yeah. Let's also discuss the meme that I want to create. At one point during this podcast, we said, I don't use Facebook a lot, but when I do, I'm miserable. <laughs> and I feel like it should be that like interesting man in the world thing. I yes. don't use Instagram a lot, but when I do, I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't tweet a lot, but when I do, I stick a fork in my eye. I don't know. I just feel like it could go on for a while because social Jay, media. <laughs> Jay needs some yeah. help. How can one man document the entire history of the web? That's true. You guys, if you want to help him, seriously tweeted him, tweet him. Yeah. <laughs> j underscore hoffman two n's 
<laughs> subscribe Anywho. to the newsletter. I mean, if if you, uh, I, yeah, the that's reason, true. You know, the reason we brought him on the show is because uh, you know I'm subscribing to the newsletter, and and I thought his research was was really thorough, and uh, I thought the same thing. How could one man be doing all of this? And uh, it's uh, it's a labor of love, but uh, the more subscribers, the more of a business it might be one day. So that's uh, a cool thing to do. Subscribe. Oh my god, how can three people do this one podcast? Patreon.com slash 2G1P. Make your contribution today. Anywho, thanks for tuning in, guys. You can tweet me at Allie Gold. Or me at June Bugger. You can write to us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. And or you can give us a phone call and leave us a voicemail, which we might play on the show. And that phone number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6548. And you can join our Discord. Oh, my God. We'd love to talk to you there. Um, our Discord server is discord.gg slash 2G1P. You can suggest show topics. You can uh, submit questions for shows that we tell you are coming up. It's a vibrant community, and we really encourage you to check it out. We'll see you next week. All right. We'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Allison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula and uploaded to a Lord of the Rings BBS via 56K dial-up modem. Uh, I mean, edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Additional editing on this episode by Logan Yuri. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. Be sure to smash that like button. In general, just smash it already. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.